Welcome everyone to another episode of the Dine Sports Podcast on the Dine Sports Podcast Network with MLB opening day just around the corner. Figured what better time than now to touch base with someone who baseball fans north of the border will be very familiar with, the one and only former Blue Jays manager John Gibbons, who's got a new book coming out in a few weeks' time. We sit down with him and chat all things Toronto, his time in the majors, his new projects, memorable ejections off-field antics with the umpires and more so without further ado let's get right into it sitting down with former mlb manager john gibbons joining us today on the podcast we've got former mlb player turned manager who can now add author to his resume as well john gibbons john how are you doing today sir yeah, but hey, don't forget the snowy owls, the Ottawa snowy owls. That's part of my resume now, too. Well, there we go. An amateur bird watcher with his wife. He was just saying he was up this part uh, of town not that long ago, photographing some uh, some wildlife there. So you're keeping busy in yeah. uh, retirement. Well, well, I uh, well, I married a photographer. That that's my thing. So I I, I go around and I carry her camera equipment. But it's been kind of it was been kind of a nice change of pace. You know, I was in baseball for over forty some years and. Um, now I got a little, uh, I guess you call them, I say I'm semi-retired because I do get this podcast and, and the, the book's coming out. So who'd have, who'd have thunk it, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're finding ways to occupy your time there. You're certainly not just rested on your laurels, but. <laughs> <laughs> good like thing, you... man. Hey, good thing. That wouldn't go very far. <laughs> like you said, though, we, we've got the advanced copy of the book right here. It's coming out April 4th. Gibby, Tales of a Baseball Lifer. And. You know, in my experience, athletes and managers and that sort of thing, they kind of fall into one of two categories when they put together books like this. Either, you know, they sit down and they go, you know what, I've still got so many stories to tell, I got to put pen to paper here. Or the other category is they've got their friends and their family being like, well, John, you, you, you've got all these things that you could tell, like you should really write a book. Like, where did you kind of fall on that spectrum as far as the motivation to put a book together? Well, yeah, I had and never entered my mind or, you know, uh, it really didn't. My, my last day in 2018, you know, I wasn't coming back. You know, we announced it and everything. And uh, as I was leaving, you know, three or four of uh, our writers that covered us, you know, the good friends and the really good writers uh, said, if you ever write a book, I want to write it. I go, I kind of laughed, man. I, I did. I kind of, really? I said, well, you can just tell me goodbye. You don't have to, you know throw that at me you know like yeah. so so anyway so I, and I was serious and I thought really I don't know you know I don't know how well that would go over but I have no interest right now and then in a couple of years passed and an old buddy of mine uh he had written a book he had he was in pro wrestling he was in he was in Nashville country music and ECW press out of Toronto there had written his book and he said you know I know this guy you want to try to write a book and so he just kind of threw some things at me and I thought you know what it might be kind of fun to sit back and in uh kind of reminisce and, and uh, so that's basically I say yeah let's let's do it we'll try to have some fun with it if it's crap it's crap you know if it's, if it's but but you know it, it was actually kind of fun looking back over my life you know it's basically a baseball book but you know I look at, at my childhood and stuff and I actually had a lot of fun with it you know and it brought back some good memories you know yeah absolutely and you know I think the thing that'll probably stick out to anyone who picks up this book and, and starts reading through it is 
it's distinctly written in your voice, right? Like sometimes with these autobiographies, you can tell like, okay, you know, so-and-so probably threw a couple quotes together here and, you know, is going to cash some checks at the end of the day. But it really, by and large, it's it's the ghostwriter that did the, the heavy lifting there. But right. I, I get the sense having, you know, read through this that you were heavily involved in this. Like, what, what was that experience kind of like for you? Well, you know, Greg Oliver, the guy that wrote it, and he, he did a great job. But, you know, he, he came down and, and sat with me in, uh, for about five days down here in Texas. And then he went home and, and he put something together, sent it to me, and I edited it, added, and things like that. We did that like two or three times, right? And I got to thinking, hey, I'm, hey wait a minute. I'm writing way too much of this, man. I'm, this, that, this part of the deal, you know? So anyway, but it was, uh, so maybe that's why it sounds like, you know, he did a really good, he did a great job, you know, you know, I think doing that, making it sound like that. and. Uh, yeah, so it was actually kind of kind of fun, but you know, it's it's. I think it's good to look back and reflect a little bit. You know, it was, it was not all. Uh, you know, but well, I put it this way: I wanted to make a book people enjoyed. You know, I didn't want to make mm -hmm. some boring book, and I threw some stories in there. And, and uh, when people asked me, "Would well, you grill anybody?" I said, "No, not really." I said, "You know, if I look, if I honestly look back over my career, I I didn't have anybody that stuck it to me. You know, and <laughs> if, if they did, I you know I don't hold grudges anyway. And it was like." People were really good to me. They gave me opportunities, you know, um, you know, I made some of my own breaks, but I had it pretty damn good, you know, so I told some fun stories in there and, and, uh, and we'll see. I, uh, you know, I keep telling people too, you know, if you're really, if you're one of those like me that has trouble sleeping at night, you know, say, grab this book, read a couple pages, man, you'll be out cold. <laughs> <laughs> if it's that bad. So anyway. Uh, uh, well, I've gotten a pretty good response. It's not out officially, I guess, yet, but it seems to be a pretty good uh, response. I'll tell you what, I'm doing a heck of a lot of these damn uh, podcast interviews. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's it, right? Well, it better okay. pay off, huh? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're doing the, the media press junket there, right? <laughs> so you, you thought your days of holding court in your office after ball games was over. Well, now, now you're doing the world tour of virtual interviews and in person and all over the place. <laughs> eh? It's been fun, man. It's good, it's good to touch base with a lot of people, meet new people, you know, like yourself. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, I mean, you kind of touched on it there, obviously. They're like when you're looking back over the course of an entire career and, you know, in, in the story, you, you talk about even going out to Newfoundland and throwing a a baseball for the first time out there and you know all all stops in between but obviously there's going to be peaks there's going to be valleys as far as you know your life story so when you were putting this together knowing you know when you're sitting down there with Greg and starting to map out all the chapters was there any particular area where you're like I know we're going to have to talk about this, but this is maybe not my favorite thing to talk about. Like, was there any areas like that or, or for the most part, was it kind of a cathartic experience going through your experience coming up through the major league ranks? Yeah. You know, yeah. I didn't, I didn't say, Oh, I dread this. I hope he doesn't bring it up or maybe should I do this or this, you know, uh, you know, I'm like any, any family had, we, we had some dysfunction, you know, in my family that I grew up in and my, in my media family now, you know, um, and, you know, so leave, you naturally leave some of that out, you know. Uh, yeah. But I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to have a little fun with this, throw that out there. But, it was, you know, I, I uh, my life hasn't scared me, man. My life disappointed me a few times, but it's, I don't I don't look back and think, gosh, man, I wish I had done that or this this and that. But um, it's, uh, you know, I, I I just hope, I, I told myself, that, hey, I want to write a book that people, are, you know, because I've seen some of those books sports people have written and things like that I go right I read, I read through them and it's kind of it's kind of boring and all that I said but you know a lot of times sports can be boring you know now mm -hmm. I had a me mediocre career if that as a player you know and then 
got into coaching and, and uh, my career took off uh, to where it is anyway now, uh, whatever, however you want to classify it. It be, when I became a manager and a coach, right? So it, 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 my ultimate goal was to be a great player. That right. didn't happen. And then it went this way. And, and uh, but no regrets, man. I'm glad it turned out this way. Cause, cause there was a point, you know, when I was finished, I was getting the end of my playing career. I could have, I could have hung on and been a catcher in the minor leagues for and maybe got a call up here or there. You know, you were mm -hmm. talking earlier about the goalies, man, when the goalies go down, it's like a catcher, you know, you sometimes you just got to keep grabbing them, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but I didn't want to do that. And then a uh, coaching opportunity came, came up, but during that time, I'm thinking, what am I going to do, man? You know, I just got, uh, you know, I got a wife, I've got, I've got uh, some kids on the way now. And, and, uh, I said, I need a job, you know, and, and uh, so I thought, but I always thought maybe coach someday, whether it was high school, college, or even professionally, you know, I didn't really want to do the professional thing because because I, I too much time away, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but that's what presented itself. And I didn't have a college education, so I couldn't step into a couple of those other jobs. So anyway, that's kind of how it all started, you know, and uh, it wasn't like they're beating down my door in the real world, <laughs> offering me these great jobs, you know. <laughs> Because, you know, guys hang around the minor leagues sometimes too long, you know, and in second career to pass them on. So, but baseball ended up working out for me. I'm just on the other side of the lines, you know, and and uh, it's been a fun ride. It's been a rocky road, you know, yeah. I've, but uh, I've got nothing but good things, you know, I've, I've been, uh, I've been blessed. There's no question. Yeah. Well, and again, you're right. You're kind of in a unique position here in the sense of you, you did see both sides of the equation at the highest levels, right? Like you mentioned, might not have been a 10 years career at the MLB right. level as a player there, but you know, you, you, you were there with the Mets organization. You got some experience in the world series and whatnot being a bullpen catcher. And so you, you saw what it takes and sort of what works, what doesn't work at that high level. So when you did get that first breakthrough opportunity, like what was your approach as a first time manager? Were you taking pieces of things that you had seen over the years and kind of putting it all together in your toolbox? Or was your approach just like, Hey, they hired me. So this is me. Take it or leave it. I'm, I'm going to ride or die with this sort of approach. Like how, how did you sort of start out? It was a good question. You know, the only guy I ever played for the big leagues was Davey Johnson, who I, was re I really liked. You know, he was he was uh, he was a confident guy. He's another San Antonio guy. So Cito Gas is from down here. Davey's down here. But anyway, so just just exuded confidence. Right. And he let the guys play and he you know, he let the coaches do their jobs. I, I thought I, I like his style. Right. And the team was good, but he never panicked, you know, and he, and he, he he'd stick his chest out because, he you know, he, he thought we were going to win. Right. And so I always admired that. And that always stood out with me. And then I coming up to the minor leagues, I had some other good coaches that I played for. And then I had some ones that I didn't care for, you know? Mm -hmm. So you just kind of, I think naturally you just kind of piece it together. And a lot of it goes back to, uh, you know, my, my high school days, you know, growing up in Texas, playing football, things like that, where they, where they, they'd, uh, they rule with the iron fist pretty good too, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, where you, but you learn discipline, you learn a lot of good things. And so I, it's kind of just all lumped in there together. So, and say what I was telling you, what I mean, I guess, is, you know, I've always been an easygoing guy. I, I, I have a ton of respect for these the guys that play it and, and at the highest level. But so I let them do their thing. And I get out of the way. But, you know, there's always a big butt in there. You, you got, you got, you know, you got to, you still got to steer the ship. You know, you got to keep yeah. guys going in the same direction. You can't, and, you know, sometimes you got to pin some gear, guys' ears back. And because those, those things happen to me and I think they're valuable I, and uh, they don't, they don't, they don't hurt you. They don't hurt the other, the guy you're getting on. They don't hurt a team in my, in my opinion, you know, 
And so it was just kind of experiences I learned. And I grew up in a military, military family, you know, my, my dad, uh, you know, we didn't step out of line too often, you know, <laughs> but you know, I'm in, in the, I guess I kept us out of trouble too. So there's some of that, but, but I'm, I'm loose. I, I love having fun with the guys and, and uh, you know, when you hang around young guys all your whole, your whole day. Right. Yeah. I mean, you never have to grow up. You know, I tell people that I said, never had to grow up. And so my wife still complains about that. She, you're 60 years old, man. Are you ever going to grow up? Probably not. You know, yeah. Just just Peter Pan over there, huh? Yeah, exactly. You know, if they want to pay me to do something stupid, I guess I can do it. You know? <laughs> well, uh, and again, right? Like once you did reach that MLB rank as a manager, you know, managers come and managers go, but even more rare at the professional level is managing the same team twice, which yeah. is what you had the opportunity to do in Toronto. So, you know, you're there from 2002 to 2008, and then you're there again, 2013 to 2018. Like when you're looking back on it, now that you're, you've removed yourself kind of five years now, I guess we are like, do you, did you see any differences in, in your managerial style between your first stint and your second stint? Or is everything really just who's on the roster this year and I'm tailor fitting my approach to them? Yeah, yeah. the only thing that really changes is we have better players, man. <laughs> I don't care. If you, anytime you get a coach or manager, whatever sport it is, and they start telling you how good they are and how they've done this, you know, that's a red flag, man. Yeah. You know, nobody ever won anything with lack of talent. That's for sure. Yeah. No, but you know, it, uh, J.P. Ricciardi gave me my first opportunity. To, and he was an old roommate, right? And he, he helped get it started. And, of course, he had to fire me a few years later. But then at that time, Alex Anthopoulos was his top assistant. And, mm -hmm. and uh, we kept in touch after I was gone. I was gone three or four years. And then, of course, he had hired uh, John Farrell. Uh, you know the story. And, and uh, But that didn't that wasn't going well, so he needed a new manager, right? Mm -hmm. And we had kept in touch. And he trusted me. And, he, and I think he came to realize, because he didn't know Farrell when that all started, that he wanted somebody at least new, you know, and, and uh, that's, I think that's important. You know, when I, when I left, people think, well, it was the sour grapes with Atkins and Shapiro. No, they deserve their own guy. They were totally different people, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so Alex came to me and, and, uh, and I told him, I said, you gotta be kidding me. Cause my first go round team was, we were average, right? Yeah. But that's all we were really kind of quietly shooting for because we weren't going to compete with the Yankees and Red Sox then. Right. They just mm -hmm. wouldn't happen. Uh, uh, so you know, it, it just, it just, I, I did my thing. And then Alex came to me and said, Hey, I want to bring you back. And I said, dude, I'm, I'm not a well-liked guy up here. He said, were you trying to cut your own throat or what? <laughs> he said, let me worry about that too. And then he, I said, okay, you may want me, but I said, wait, Paul, no way Beeston's going to in Beeston's going to go for it. Yeah. He's, he's too savvy, man. He, he, he can gauge that, that win. Right. Yeah. And, uh, so, but he said, let, uh, let me worry about Beeston too. So, and Paul signed off on it. Cause Paul, the best guy you can work for in baseball, like as far as he hired, he's a president. He hires the, the general manager to do a job. Yeah. He's mm -hmm. got to oversee things and you got, he's got to prove things. Right. But he lets you do your job because if you don't do your job and he's going to hold you accountable, he's not going to hold anybody else accountable because you're doing it right. Mm -hmm. In the same way he trusted the, the GM. If you want this guy as your manager, you got him. Right. Cause you, you, for some reason you want him, but you hold him accountable, just like I'm going to hold you accountable. You know, a lot of that's changed. It's like every, you know, everybody and their brothers got input, right? So nobody yeah. can make a decision. You know, it's like uh, so nobody <laughs> takes any blame, I guess. You know, yeah. So that's kind of, that's how it all started. And, and uh, usually, you know, Billy Martin did it a few times with the Yankees, but uh, and then Cito, Cito, uh, 
he came back and replaced me. So he was a two-time guy. Yeah. I, that I, I'm sure it's happened, but it, it does, it's, it's kind of rare unless you won something. Say, you know, Cito had won a couple of championships. So he comes back and, and uh, takes my place. Billy Martin, you know, his reputation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we were just hoping to be 500 and they're going to bring me back. And, and they just made a big, some trades with the, uh, you know, brought in R.A. Dickey and they made some trades with Florida Marlins and the baseball world's all excited. We're, we're world champs already, you know, and played yeah. And then they, then they, and then he hires me to run it. And everybody's like, what? I said, I told him, I said, listen, I, I warned you, man, too late now. I already signed that contract. <laughs> you know, it, it didn't, it didn't start out too good. You know, we, we weren't as good. I knew we weren't as good as people were, were training us. Right. Yeah. And then things kind of changed and Alex realized, you know, where we needed to make some changes in 2015 and he addressed them and it was like, boom rocket ship you know so that's uh you know you got to be in the right place at the right time you got to have a sponsor like anything else somebody's got to like you and somebody's got somebody's got to trust you you know and so that's how that all started and then of course when Shapiro and Atkins came over I wasn't their guy they deserved their guy but we were playing too good you know uh because the whole idea was when Shapiro came over you know the team was kind of just playing so-so and the ownership wanted to rebuild it right Mm -hmm. Beastie was on his way out they were, I think they wanted to gut it, right? Mm-hmm. I think we're paying too much money or something. And then all of a sudden things change. You know, now you can't do that. Now the, now the, uh, the bank's rolling, man. You know, and, the, and, and uh, so, so they really couldn't get their own guy right away. But that was in the plan. That's fair. I got no problem with that. I totally expect it, you know. And then eventually when we crapped out, you knew it was coming. Because we got older. There's no doubt. We didn't, we didn't add some areas maybe to sustain it a little longer. But... And so I was gone, you know, um, that's just, that's, that's business, man. I got, uh, I got zero complaints. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, too, right. Like you hit on a great point there, as far as in professional sports, everyone knows you, you've got your windows to compete and, you know, as you get a little bit older, Hey, you know, the, the gravy train's not always going to be running 24 seven here. Uh, all good things need to come to an end. Like, did you have any moment that maybe stood out to you as, okay, you know, Hey, this is a turning point from, okay, we just kind of want to be 500 to like, all right, I think we got something special here. Like, does any one moment stand out to you or was it more of just a, a gradual progression over time? Well, you know what? It was, uh, it's, it's funny. It's, uh, you know, we brought in at 15, we brought in Donaldson mm-hmm. and Russell Martin, right? Yeah. Great moves. You know, I thought we needed some toughness. We had Batista, Carnassian. We had some good players, but you know, they, they, there was just something about these guys. They're always in the playoffs and everything like that. But if you look at it, if you go back to 2014, the year before, you know, we at the at the uh, trade deadline, we were like a game under 500. We were, but we were like a game or two games out of the wild card, right? Mm-hmm. So we were right there, but we didn't do anything. There was no money left to make any moves, right? And thought Alex couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're down in Houston. I can remember uh, Jose Batista and Casey Jansen was our closer. They did an interview and they're bitching and moaning about, well, we didn't do anything, blah, blah, blah. And they were right, but they didn't quite, they don't get it either that, uh, you know, there's limit, there was limitations for Alex, right? Okay. So, all right. So we get through that year. So Alex, the offseason, Alex, I think he held on to, I don't know, a million bucks, 1.5, 2 million, whatever it was. He kept that in his back pocket, right? And uh, not literally. He wasn't. He wasn't. Yeah. The same, but he, uh, so about the same, almost identical record at the trade deadline. In the in, in what had happened is we had identified. You know, Jose Reyes 
God bless him, but he he had no more range, man. You know, mm -hmm. balls were rolling through the infield. Our defense, you couldn't. I mean, we weren't a very good defensive team, but we were the best offense in in the league, you know. And our pitching was good enough, right? Mm -hmm. And we were playing out uh, first baseman out in the left field, uh, Calabello, Danny Valencia, and hey, they did the best they could, but they, you know. So anyway, so then we bought him Ben Revere, and then, but I think and then David Price, you know, the day. So, so what he did with that money he held over is. Uh, you know, Price had, I think, probably whatever it was, had one and a half million bucks were left on his contract. So they, so he was able to take that on because he had that extra money. That's mm -hmm. how David came to be. And then, um, but I think the key was Tulowitzki tightening up our defense, man, and then Ben Revere playing great defense out of left field. I think it just kind of gave everybody confidence, helped, really helped the pitching staff out. But then there was just kind of every, but you know, it was, uh, I mean, everybody just clicked at once, you know, it was like, it was kind of rare, you know, usually there's kind of a gradual, but it was like, you know, Price pitched his first game and it was, I think it was against Minnesota sellout. And that place was rocking up Sunday afternoon or something. And you could just feel something had changed. Right. Mm -hmm. And the players felt like the year before we didn't do anything. They're, they're complaining. Now they felt they're thinking, wow, we're all in, but we got to do something now. Right. Yeah. And it was, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of how it, how it all happened. You know, you, Alex, we knew, we knew what, what our weaknesses were, but there's, there's been years you, you couldn't do anything about it because you, there's no money left to acquire somebody else, you know? No, uh, no that's not, that that's not the case with all franchises. Cause you know, but uh, you know, I think there's two publicly owned teams, the the Blue Jays and the Braves, Alex, like we're Anthopolis works for both of them, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's like a corporate uh, for punishment, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's something. So, but the, you know, I mean, they got to answer to their, their fear holes and all that. And they're, you know, there is limits to what you can do. You can't get crazy. You know? But he was smart enough to hold on to that little extra, you know. Yeah. He's a quick learner, man. You know, yeah. little things go long ways when they yeah. add up over time, right? Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, you know, looking back on your career, I, I would be remiss if I didn't at least bring up your, your frequent trips to, let, let's say, discuss the finer points of baseball with the umpires out on the field. So, Ooh. you know, looking back on it, was there ever, whether it was a particular crew or just even one umpire in general, where when you saw their name come up as far as, all right, they're, they're going to be doing our game, you just knew like, oh boy, it's going to be a long afternoon? Or was everything just situationally dependent as far as, okay, this happened in the game and that's why we're fired up? Like, did you ever really butt heads with any one particular official? Well, well there's, there's one guy, uh, C.B. Buckner was his name. And we, you know, he, he wasn't a bad guy. He never said, you know, I get in arguments. Yeah. He, he'd show me out a few times, but it wasn't like he was confrontational. It was more me, but he, he was, yeah. he, he just, we just didn't think he was very good or maybe against us. <laughs> he was very good, you know? And so, so you almost go in, like you said, you go in and go, Oh my gosh, he's behind the plate tonight. Well, yeah. whatever. Right. And, uh, but the thing is, and uh, Angel Hernandez is another one. Everybody in the league's had trouble with. He's a good guy, you know, yeah. he, he, but you know, it takes more than that. This isn't about being a good guy, you know. Um, yeah. So, but the guy I probably had the most fun with is um, uh, Joe West, you know. Yeah. And Joe, you know, Joe's the all-time games umpire, man. And, and, uh, uh, and we, we'd, we'd laugh and joke. I'd go out there. Um, sometimes, you know, I'd go out there and argue, or I'd be arguing with another umpire, and he always comes in because he's a crew team. He oh, yeah. gets in there, and he just lets you, and he, he's always got a joke. And, uh -huh. uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, one, one night, you know, they used to, every year they had like a, um, country music weekend. Yeah. And so my daughter had a country band, right? So the Blue Jays were nice enough. They invited her band up to play. So, right. And, uh, Joe West 
is, is writes country music, sings country music. Yeah. He happened to be in town. So my daughter's band was supposed to play on that Sunday at the stadium. So Saturday night, they got to play at the, uh, was it the Horseshoe Horseshoe Tavern? Okay, yeah, yeah. Toronto, you know, it was a, fa- a famous uh, place where bands started, right? Through, through a buddy of ours that was in a band they were playing. They wanted her to uh, open up for him, right? It was still right. a cool little place. So anyway, he's he's got the home, he's got home plate that Saturday. Um, so I go out there and I said, "Hey Joe, you know we're talking." And I said, "Hey, my daughter's playing in a uh, singing some country music at this bar in town. And you, know, you want to go?" And he goes, "I ain't paying for it." <laughs> well, I know that you cheap man. <laughs> but but I said, "Okay, I'll leave you. I'll leave you on the pass list. You you get in." He goes, "I'll be there." Right? Yeah, my wife and I we get to the place and walk in, and Joe and another umpire sit at the bar, right? And he uh-huh. he, he bought us like uh, I don't know what we were drinking that night, but he bought he bought us rounds all night. It was like, and Joe sat there, and you know the next day we came, and he brought out bushy tail, and uh, uh, you know yeah. nobody knew that I you know I was just trying to bribe the umpire. <laughs> Yeah, just whining and dying. Because you know what? All they had to do was watch him against us, and they knew it. It would didn't work if I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. And I mean, that's kind of what fans don't see, right? Is they'll see a manager come out there, and you know, they'll they'll see the lips are flapping. They can't really hear what's going on, right? But to your point. <laughs> Sometimes it's not always quite as uh, confrontational as as it uh, looks on but TV. You gotta, hey, you got to be careful nowadays. There's there's microphones everywhere, you know. And I got yeah. lost a couple times. I was really angry about something. Yeah, it was embarrassing because my kid, my kids brought it up. My wife brought it up. Even my mother, you know, watch it. She's my mom. Hey, watch your mouth, <laughs> you still my son. Watch your mouth because it was kind of near the home plate area. And you got these mics back, and I was, you know, I went. Uh, you got was, a hot mic behind. I wasn't home proud plate. of it. Yeah, yeah. And things were coming out of my mouth. You know, really. It, she she got it and lit into me, you know. So you say people don't know, but nowadays there's yeah bugs everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Was there ever a one ejection in particular that you look back on, you know, and you say, you know what, I deserve to get ejected, but that one was so worth it. Like, is there one that just stands out to you as like, man, that felt good. <laughs> Well, you know what? They, they kind of all felt good, you know, because you know, people people would say, you know what, do you go out there to fire up your team? I said, no, because that doesn't work. That's phony. You know, I've never, yeah. I, I don't, I've never been phony in my life, or at least I hope not, right? But uh, sometimes, you know, one thing, we are, the guys on our team, we were known as whiners, you know, Batista and Donaldson, they were the great players in the game, but they they whine in, in the umpire's eyes about the strike zone, you know? Mm-hmm. The guys on other team didn't care for them because of that but they were so damn good. And, you know, they were beating these other guys. So that was part of it too. Um, but they would complain about the strike zone. And a lot of times, most times they were right, you know, but the umpires stuck it to them. They got tired of it. I can't blame the umpires. Yeah. So anyway, uh, you know, you, but you, but you gotta, you gotta fight for these guys, right? You just gotta do it. But there was a few times I go out there and the guy, the umpires, and I'm lighting them up. You know, if the team's playing bad, you know, too, you don't want to, you don't want to, Sometimes you don't want to watch it. You get tired of watching it, right? Yeah. So that, that was that was my point. Sometimes you got to go out and because it, clearly they're sticking it to us because you know now that everything's on TV. Yeah. And our guys are right, but we we you know we we were causing a lot of it too, you know. Yeah. And then sometimes you go out there because you're just sick of watching it and you want to go and you got to you know it's but the, like to fire a team up, yeah. But you, I will say this: if you want your players to fight for you, you better fight for them, you know. So, yeah. so anyway, there's a few times I went out the umpire said, I ain't throwing you out, man. If, if I, and I, <laughs> and, uh, he says, if I got to be out here and watch this, you do too. 
And I told a few of them, I said, listen, we stink, man. We our team stinks. I was talking about our Jays team, whatever year it was. Yeah. I said, but you were really, I mean, you but you you really stink, you know. I mean, look at that kind of but I tell you what, the the if you start if you if you if you cuss at them, call them a name or something, that's the that you're gone. You know, there's yeah. a lot of times most of them the younger guys, they don't they don't have much as give and take when they come up, you know, try to establish themselves. The older guys, the way it really used to be for years. They'd give you your say, they'd give you your say, and they'd have a little fun when they're with you and you'd say, all right, that's enough, that's enough. And, you know, if you didn't leave, they'd throw you out. But if you, you start calling names, go on to you, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, well, and the injections are down, you know, now because you got that uh, instant replay and stuff. Yeah, well, uh, and again, that that's just goes to speak to how much the game really is evolving, and you really see it this year as well, too. Obviously, the implementation of pitch clocks, bigger bases, right? So all these rule changes. Now, like you bring it up a few times in your book, you're you're kind of a, an old school kind of throwback uh, manager. Like when you see all these rules that are getting put in place, like what's your take on it? Are you a fan of the new rules? Are you a more of a traditionalist? Where do you fall on that? Well, I'm definitely a traditionalist. You know, I don't, uh, you know, as long as baseball has been around, of course they've tweaked some things, I'm, I'm sure over time, but you know, everything's based on numbers, you know, like most things, but you know, you look at the greatest careers, you know, in the longevity and you know, what have you. And it's, it's like, we're implementing things that they're going to mess with that, not intentionally mess with that, but it's like, why is the game? I mean, is the game really that bad? And, you know, we, this, this, this is an older one, but the play at the home plate, you know, where you can't, uh, the catcher can't block it, you, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like one guy gets hurt and it's like, they think you, you think guys are getting hurt every day or something. Right. And they did it at second base guy shorts them chase Utley rule, you mm -hmm. know? I, yeah, it happens, but guys aren't getting hurt every day. And it's like, those are some of the funner parts of the game. And baseball could be a really slow boring game. That's where the issue is. And they're trying to, attract more of the younger crowd I think but sometimes it's just slow so if you get a collision home plate you get a great slide somebody gets knocked down a sec hey there's some life out there people like that you know but now we're trying yeah. to stop that too but in the and then of course one they had I guess it was part, during COVID or something they, like if you go extra any games you know they they, they the put ghost runner and, yeah that, that's little league man are you kidding me uh. so what uh really well if you play 18 innings so be it that's the way it is you know that when you're trying to determine a winner, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if a team plays X number uh, extra inning games. You know, you see how good the organization is with the the talent they got in the minor leagues. Because you're gonna have to replace guys because those long games. That's just part of it, you know. So the the better teams, the better organizations are gonna get rewarded, you know. Um, but it just you cut down on guys at bats. I'm talking about for historic things, right? Yeah. I always I tell somebody the other day. I said, say say Albert Pujols that came up one home run short of 700, right? Yeah. What do you hit? 700 or 600? Anyway, so, okay, say you come up one short, and then you look back in the month of September and go, now the Cardinals played like five extra inning games, you know, but they didn't go very long because somebody won. Well, if they had a long game, he might have got a couple extra bats. He might have hit that extra home run, that you know, that historic one. He didn't need it, obviously, but it's like, you know, they, and then it plays the play. You put, you know, you put – Judgment in somebody's hand or the umpire in his hands. Did he did he give him enough room to slide? It's like right. But I read an interesting article yesterday because they were talking we were talking about the bases and the, they're shorter now, mm -hmm. bigger bases, but the shorter distance in between. They were talking to Ricky Henderson, you know, all time going base king, you know. Yeah. 
And he's going, well, if they're going to do that, they need to add, I don't know, 50 stolen bases a year to his career. It's like, you think about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's there's things that just matter over time. That's, that's the beauty of baseball, you know. Um, you know, like judges was chasing the home run thing last year, right? Yeah. Well, you know what? If What if he comes up short, you know, in the extra inning games? Just, it's just little things. If you really want to preserve history, yeah, I know things change and number of games you play and all that, but that those are. It's almost like Manfred wants to put a stamp on the game in all the wrong ways, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, there, there's, there's a whole other podcast episode we could go on about <laughs> the commissioner there. Hey, hey, I look at it this way, man. You know what? If the game's too slow or it's getting going too long, and I get it, I don't like those kind of games either. But go home, turn your TV off, or go home early and come back the next day or whatever. Right? You know, it's like. But everybody loves those 10 to 9 games because they're full of excitement, you know, a lot of a lot of offense, a lot of action. Those games last those those, those games last four hours. Nobody has a problem because of some excitement. So it's not always, you know, it's it's just the sport we're talking about here. Sometimes it's dull, you know. Uh, context matters for sure. And yeah. I mean, Josh Donaldson, who we, we've talked about earlier, he, he ended up writing the foreword to your book, right? And I'm paraphrasing him here, but his quote was, he's just yeah. a good old Southern boy up in Toronto. He grew on me and he grew on Canada as well because he was authentic to who he was. Looking back on your career, is that what you really would want to be known as? Is just, I was authentic. I did it my way and, you know, people knew what they were getting with me. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I'm uh, I'm like most people, man. We can't, I don't know about you, but I can't stand politicians, man. I watch them on TV. <laughs> like they never tell you the truth, right? They look you in the eye and they'll, they'll lie right to you. So, so I'm not a politician by any means, right? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, and I am who, my, who I am. And I, and I want the guy that hires me to know who he's getting, you know? Um, and I don't know any other way to be, you know? I, I understand you got to play the game a little bit. You got to... You, you get hired in certain positions and you got to, you know, there's certain things that go with those positions. Right. Yeah. You, know, you represent the organization. You got to do certain things and all that. And you got, and you got to have class in certain things, right. Certain things, not everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that's always what I've been, you know, and, and um, uh, because you know, the people trust you, I think, you know, mm-hmm. and, the, and the players, they know what they expect, you know, and, and the, but Josh and I, he's one of my all time favorites, you know, yeah. and, and, we're still pretty close. We keep in touch. And, uh, you know, he's, he was a big part of those teams, yeah. you know, and he, he didn't, have, his career wasn't easy starting out, you know, he had reinvented himself and then we had a tremendous career, but he's a, he's a winning player. Everywhere he goes, the team wins, but he, but he can ruffle some feathers too, you know, but I figured he's a perfect guy to write the forward if I could get him to do it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> have you had him down to the apparently uh, former manager's compound you've got going on down in San Antonio there? Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Hey, I got to tell you, though, you said he said good old Texas boy. My mom and dad are born and raised in Boston, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got that New England blood running through these veins. I tell everybody that's the jerk in me. You know, that's when that comes out, you know. <laughs> Amazing. Well, John, we appreciate having you on. For those that are listening, the book is called Gibby Tales of a Baseball Lifer. It is out April 4th by ECW Press. Make sure to go out and grab it. John, appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to sit down. I really enjoyed it, man. Let's do it again.
And that's a wrap on another episode of the Dine Sports Podcast on the Dine Sports Podcast Network. As always, a huge shout out goes to our guest, John Gibbons, for taking time to sit down with us on his book tour, talk about all things MLB. For those that are listening that want to learn more about John's time up in the show, be sure to pick up a copy of his new book, which releases on April 4th from ECW Press. We've also got tons of great content going up on dinespressbox.com. Some of our contributors like Thomas Hall are cranking out the MLB content to get you all set for the 2023 opening day on Thursday. As always, if you like what you heard, like, share, subscribe, share the episode with a friend. And until next time, folks, stay safe. We'll see you in a bit.